0: This is the Easy Living Yards Podcast. I'm Ben Hale, your nectary host. Let's jump in and learn how to have a healthy, beautiful yard with less work so you can enjoy more time doing what you love. What's up and welcome to episode 62 of the Easy Living Yards podcast. Today we're talking about attracting butterflies and pollinators. Guys, before we jump into today's show, I just want to put in a plug for the Easy Living Yards membership. This is an awesome time for you to transform your landscape. If you'd like to have a beautiful new garden by fall, this is the best time of the year to get started. Fall is usually the best time to put in a new garden bed. It's the best way to establish your new perennial plants. And so getting started now with planning out your garden properly, getting everything in place, figuring out how to purchase your plants, figuring out what plants you need, figuring out the hard escape and getting that work done. This is the best time to get started. It's really already, you know, we're well into spring now. We're getting on to the hotter months. So let's get started on transforming your landscape today. So if you're interested, go on over to ely.how slash membership and check out the options there. I look forward to seeing you In the membership, where I can help you on your specific problems and make massive progress on your landscape to help save you time and have a beautiful landscape. I want to give you the confidence to build a new beautiful yard that you can enjoy. All right, so let's jump into attracting butterflies and other pollinators. Who doesn't love butterflies, right? So the reality is there's multiple benefits to this process. For one, you get to enjoy all the beauty and activity that comes with attracting butterflies and pollinators. So pollinators are awesome. They're all basically all the bugs that feed on plants and uh, you know help pollinate those plants as well in the process. So they get the nectar and get energy from those plants. And in return, they help those plants reproduce and, and spread their pollen. So it's a wonderful, beautiful process, and it's also so much fun to watch and just observe and to enjoy all the activity that's going on in the garden. Now, there's, of course several benefits to having pollinator gardens. One is that they're just absolutely beautiful. You know, they're brimming with activity. They're full of flowers. Um, so they're full of just this natural beauty that we can bring into our landscape. And we can do it in multiple ways where it can be very cultivated or it can be very naturalized. And and so that's up to your personal preference. But all sorts of pollinator gardens are just beautiful. and And they're beautiful for all the, the activity that they attract to them as well. They're also beautiful from an environmental health standpoint. So they are really, really helpful right now. Our pollinators, our native pollinators across the world, Now, I'm not just talking in the United States, but there's tons of research coming out showing that pollinators are in massive decline across the world. And it's really a a cause for alarm among a lot of naturalists because a lot of it is due to loss of habitat. And so a lot of these plants and their symbiotic relationships with bugs and and you know other creatures as well is being greatly reduced and one of the massive solutions that's emerging is using people's front and backyards to replace some of this habitat loss it won't completely you know replace it from uh you know the the this sheer size of what things used to be across the world before we you know started living in these places um But what it can do is somewhat negate the negative effects of the habitat loss that's currently uh, underway. And so there's a huge environmental health impact of what you can do with your yard just by planting a small garden. Just by planting a few seeds, we can solve major problems with our ecosystem. And that's really cool to me. Next, these pollinator gardens, if you do it right, they're super easy to maintain. Who doesn't love something that's beautiful and it doesn't require a lot of work? It's just something you can have there and enjoy its beauty and really don't have to sit in there and do a bunch of work. This isn't your English cottage garden where you're out there, you know, clipping your roses every two weeks or two days, I guess. Um, instead, you're you're out there to enjoy it and to be there and to just take in all that energy and to refresh yourself that's awesome and last but certainly not least is pollinator gardens are very educational spaces they just by being a garden being a natural space they boost creativity and likewise they educate you about the natural world you and your kids so if you have kids this is a wonderful way to get them involved with nature right in your front or backyard and to learn about these relationships between plants and insects and other creatures and and to just start learning about the natural world so this is awesome this is what you can do with just a couple of seeds and a couple of plants awesome stuff. Okay, so let's figure out how to do it, right? So what I want to do today is kind of, I've talked to, you know, briefly here about the benefits. And I just kind of want to walk you through a quick process of how to start a butterfly garden, some of the initial foundational stuff you need to understand. And then I'm going to give you a bunch of resources on how to build one, uh, both from my website and elsewhere. And and also some, you know, kind of watch outs and um, things about just, you know, how we can make a positive impact. Okay, so how to start a butterfly garden. For one, this process can be overwhelming with all the information out there. I will put that out here up front. What I want to do today is simplify that. Okay. This doesn't have to be overwhelming. Something you do is better than nothing. Even if it's a potted marigold on your balcony, that's better than nothing. Okay. So keep it simple, do what you can and do what you feel confident with. Okay. That's better than not doing anything at all. So now I have just kind of a list of various points and examples. So my first point and these are in no order, is try to select plants so that you have something that blooms all season. If you want an actual garden and you want pollinators all season... Anytime something's growing, try to have something blooming during that time too. So, what you're going to do is select various plants that bloom at different times. And so, as one plant comes into bloom, it will bring in your bumblebees and your butterflies and your moths. And then, as that one starts to slow down, you have another plant that comes into bloom to take its place. And then another and another and another. And so, you understand how by having these multiple plants that successively bloom, there's always something in your garden. That that's there to feed and nurture those insects and bring them back into your landscape. Now, of course, not all flowers are created equal, and so what you need to do is, for you and your region, do the the research to figure out what are the best plants to bring in the insects that you want, and what times do they bloom. Those are the, those are two of the very important factors. So, what time do they bloom? What insects do they attract? And then the additional piece is what grows in my Area, so that's your what grows in your climate, as well as in your specific location. So what what type of soil do you have? What type of sun exposure do you have? What type of uh, water availability do you have? At what time of year? So you want to take all of those things into consideration when you're selecting your plants. It's a lot, but basically what you do is you go down the list and figure out what's adaptable to your space, and also what's best from that list uh, for the insects in your area and what time it blooms. And that basically summarizes how you go through the plant selection. So for example, with learning what insects you want. So think of like the monarch butterfly. It's one of those, you know, poster childs for um, attracting uh, pollinators to your landscape. So the monarch butterfly, for example, it only lays eggs where there are host plants for its larvae, for the caterpillars to eat. Caterpillars for monarchs eat very specific plants, as do most pollinators. So, monarch caterpillars eat plants in the milkweed family. So, if you don't have milkweeds growing in your landscape, you're not going to have mother egg laying monarchs laying their eggs in your landscape for them to hatch and emerge and eat. Eat and uh, you know, turn into beautiful butterflies. So, if you want something that goes through the full life cycle, you need to take that in consideration. So, when you're selecting plants, you need to find those host plants, as they call them, needed for your insects. So, you need to find plants that work for the egg laying piece, for the larvae, and for the adults as well. So, those are the things you need to consider. So Generalist nectar plants are also important so these are generally things that feed your adult insects based on the shape and the size and the color of the flower you attract different types of insects and so some generalist ones that are are generally speaking very good for pollination i've just I've got a list of a couple here so I'll just run through them real quick black eyed susans are really great um, these are I'll, I'll just quickly list the Latin name I have the spelling of these in the in the show notes, so you can check them out there. So black-eyed Susans are the genus Rub- Rudbeckia. Sunflowers are genus Helianthus. Um, so sunflowers are also really helpful. Echinacea or the cone flowers; um, those are also a lot of fun for me. I love Echinacea. So Echinacea purpurea is the purple cone flower, for example. Yarrow is a great uh, attractor of pollinators. So that's the genus Achillea mountain mint is an awesome one. Uh, it, it's just humming with activity in late summer. And so, uh, they don't have really showy flowers or anything, but they're a good, like, uh, they, they kind of have like a silvery foliage to the plant. So that's really beautiful. Um, and so that's the genus pycnanthemum. And these are a native mint, which is really cool too. I think, um, the asters are really cool, especially, of course, I'm a fan of the natives. And so the, uh, There's some really beautiful native asters, one of which is the New England aster. So Symphiotrichum is the genus for asters. And uh, also, of course, the milkweeds. So one good generalist um, pollinator milkweed is the butterfly milkweed. um, And that's in the genus Asclepius. And so butterfly milkweed has these beautiful orange flowers. Don't let the name fool you. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful plant. Um, there's so many other beautiful plants out there as well. So those are just a few that work really well in a, a lot of geographies. So it's kind of like a starting spot for you. Now, when it comes to establishing your garden, you want to start with a blank space, or you could also integrate it into your existing garden. If you need to establish a new garden area, check out episode 10 where I talk about how to start a new garden bed. So I have a link for that in the show notes as well. Things you need to avoid or want to avoid. One, I I guess, yeah, you don't need to avoid these. I recommend it. First is those random seed mixes you see out there that are called butterfly, you know, butterfly attractor mix or butterfly pollinator mix. Um, those are nice if you want to establish like a meadow that's very kind of... Um, just naturalized looking. So it's a great thing for like that, you know, the side of your house or the back corner where it's not going to bother your neighbors. I think they're very pretty, but some people don't. Um, but the reality is it's going to have a bit more of a scrubby appearance to it. And it also takes a little bit of a work, A little bit of work to establish these, these types of little meadow plantings and just growing everything from seed doesn't always work out. So those random seed mixes, a lot of times they're more for, um, selling to the consumer as opposed to really working out for what their expectations are. So really get clear on your expectations. And if you want kind of that, you know, open space meadow type thing, it might work out for you, but just make sure that's what you're expecting. Um, Next, avoid pesticides. Pesticides are what's causing a lot of these problems with declines in pollinators. And so using pesticides on the plants that you're attracting pollinators to can really have the opposite effect of what you're looking for. So really consider whether or not you should be using pesticides in your pollinator garden or on your landscape in general. Next, I recommend that you avoid using the butterfly bush. Now, it has, of course, this beautiful name that makes you think, oh, this is a great plant for attracting butterflies. Well, the reality is that the flowers are great uh, as a a nectary. Uh, they, They do attract butterflies and other pollinators to the plant. And for that, they're really good. Unfortunately, this plant is becoming invasive in a lot of regions, or you know, aggressively grows to outcompete other plants. I guess is another way to say that. And and so, this plant by itself is a good pollinator attractor for nectar, but it doesn't serve as a host for any of your native caterpillars uh, in the United States. And so, for that, it, it actually is a, a huge detriment. Because we could be growing a lot of other more beneficial things that provide wonderful nectar source as well as provide a host for caterpillars and likewise we could be growing plants that aren't going to escape into our greater landscape and outcompete uh, plants that have that serve a purpose in the ecosystem. So if that's something that's a concern for you I'd suggest you avoid using the butterfly bush even though it is a pretty plant and it does attract pollinators to its nectar it has some drawbacks that are worth considering. Likewise it's actually um, outlawed for distribution and planting in in a couple places like Puerto Rico and in Oregon as well and so The fact that it's a matter of concern in some of these places, it's also cautioned against in, uh, I think it's the U.S. uh, Fish and Wildlife Service cautions against using it. Um, it, Don't quote me on that. It's one of the uh, U.S. departments. Anyway, uh, you know, just considering all that, it's worth considering whether or not you want it in your landscape, even though it's readily available at many nurseries. Okay, so let's talk about some resources. First, instead of... uh, leading you toward um, some online resources, I want to talk about what's locally available for you. And of course, this is different based on where you live, but there are a lot of local resources that are really trying to promote the use of native plants, especially, uh, you know, these pollinator gardens, uh, help with the bees, your local native bees, as well as uh, help for butterflies. So if you want to grow a butterfly garden or a pollinator garden, check out the local resources. So Look for local park districts, botanical gardens, and arboreta. And so a lot of these places do have programs where they'll kind of walk you through the process. Some of them even give away free plants or have discounts toward these plants. Um, likewise, some of your local nurseries actually might have some classes or programs as well. And they might also offer a discount on some of those plants that they sell if you go to their program. And so, check out those resources and workshops offered through those local places. Likewise, if you have a local Wild Ones chapter, the Wild Ones is a a network of clubs. Basically, it's like a garden club uh, across the United States, and I think um, you know elsewhere. Uh, but the Wild Ones are these groups of people in your local area that are are dedicated toward providing native habitat in their gardens. And so they're a great resource of very passionate people that can help you get started on creating your own pollinator habitat. So the next option is online, which is the Xerces Society. That's X-E-R-C-E-S. The Xerces Society is dedicated to providing pollinator habitat across the United States to, to help preserve a lot of these Insects that are having trouble. So, the Xerxes Society is actually that crazy name. It comes from an extinct butterfly because it lost its habitat. And so, they're dedicated to preventing other species from losing their habitat and going extinct. So, they have a ton of awesome resources that I'm going to list out in the show notes as well. Um, But they have some awesome resources that can help you select the right plants for your space. And also, they have some awesome books as well if you want to get into more depth. The next piece I want to touch on before I wrap up is a lot of what this pollinator gardening stuff is about, not only you know just having that beautiful uh, pollinator sp- space in your landscape, but also about doing your part. Our landscapes were once something else. Our yard was once something else. It was habitat, and we removed that when we had our space developed. Maybe we weren't the ones that physically did it, but by living in the space we live in, we kind of take on some of that ownership. That's the reality is our space didn't used to be a lawn. It didn't used to be a house. It didn't used to have a road in front. It used to be something else, whether that it was a woodland or a meadow, it was some other creature's home. And so to me, it's important to try and somewhat, uh, reconcile some of that. And so for me, I recommend and what I do in my landscape is plan it to where it's, it's a friendly space for the creatures that were, once, uh, that were formerly displaced from where we live. Now, of course, this isn't the perfect scenario. We're not going to have bobcats roaming through our front yard any day soon. We're not going to have the, the wolves that used to live in our landscape hundreds of years ago roaming through our front yard either not in you know not in metropolitan cincinnati that's just not the reality but what we can do is help support those pollinator ecosystems that were once there and need a lot of help to get back to where they need to be okay so really to me this is partly about sharing space with other creatures that deserve this space as well and really what does it hurt it brings beauty into your landscape it brings activity and joy into your landscape we're part of a greater landscape here. Okay. We're part of a greater ecosystem. No matter how much we try to remove it, that's what our, our land is, is a greater ecosystem. And so why not embrace that and try and help, help that along, make it easier for the other creatures that live around us. You know, the monarchs, the bees, the other insects that are suffering, they need our help. And, and, you know, this isn't really, uh, that hard of an issue to solve and so what we can do is is we can provide just a little pocket even a little pocket of a pollinator friendly landscape throughout the whole growing season can have a major impact when we all do it just a little bit this place is also like i said it's educational it's invigorating it's rewarding it gives us back more than we put in And so I don't understand what's holding us back, right? What's holding you back? This is what we did for our front landscape. We have a beautiful front landscape that is just starting to wake up for the season. I'm really excited to see how it turns out. We just installed it over the fall. And so our new front garden, out of 20 different species of plants, 18 of them are native pollinator attracting plants. And so... What can you do with your landscape to create a beautiful landscape that can also give back to the greater landscape? It can support those pollinators that need your help. If you need help with this, check out today's show notes. It's chock full of information to help you with this. ely.house/episode62. I have a link to low-maintenance plants for the Midwest. This is a free giveaway that has a list of all sorts of plants that can help you In your landscape to to bring in beauty to your landscape in a way that's low maintenance with highly adaptable plants that grow well in your region. Likewise, they attract pollinators and bring life into your landscape. Check out episode 10 on how to start a new garden bed. This gives you the process to basically erase what you have so you can start fresh and do it in a way that starts you healthy and gives you a good head start on your new garden. So check that out. Also have links to a lot of Xerxes Society information. The Xerxes Society is awesome when it comes to uh, pollinator habitat. They have tons of resources. So the first resource I have in the show notes is a, a a link to a page of pollinator plant lists. And what they have here, there's a reason I didn't create a resource myself is because I could never do it as good as what the Xerxes Society has already done. They have a list of Of pollinator plants for each region in the United States. So wherever you live, they have a very specific list tailored to your climate and your region of what plants grow while there. Now they still recommend, you know, for your specific space, make sure those plants grow in that specific space because in each geography in each city there's so much regional and you know spatial variation on what plants do well and what space so you can't just have you know this broad general list that works everywhere but what they've done is they've broken that down into much more manageable chunks to make it much easier to get started on your pollinator garden so check out their list of plant lists for your region Next, if you want to dig deeper, the Xerxes Society has two awesome books that are on my book list. I haven't read these, but I've read the reviews about them and they rave for these books. And so the first is Gardening for Butterflies. This book is full of beautiful pictures. Um, it's almost like a coffee table book, but not only is it is it full of beautiful pictures, but it's full of actionable, specific information to help you design a garden that's good for the butterflies. Likewise, they have another awesome book called Attracting Native Pollinators, and it's no less amazing for the content that it has in it for attracting native pollinators. Guys, as always, if you really want step-by-step help to help you specifically through the process of creating a beautiful landscape, go on over to ely.how slash member or <laughs> Ely.how slash membership. And there you can join the E-L-Y membership and get specific help, get access to me to help you through designing your beautiful landscape, to have the confidence to move forward and, and create that beautiful landscape for yourself. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you live with passion and make tomorrow better than today.